Welcome to another edition of Collector's Quest. And I am by myself, and this is kind of a one-off episode. I'm hesitating to even number it. Um, but the reason we're here today is because it is June 2016, and I have finally finished my Super Nintendo collection. And this is interesting timing, because my quest for a Super Nintendo actually began in June about 25 years ago. That's the year 1991. This is... Uh, fortuitous timing and I'm going to tell you the true story of my first Super Nintendo and the lengths I went to to obtain it now I will I will tell you guys it is it's not like a happy story I've said often that the Super Nintendo is very personal to me it's kind of why I've hesitated to complete it that I, I didn't know what to do if I ever would I just kind of I don't know there was some sort of uh, fear behind completing it and that's not very rational, and it's just because it, the Super Nintendo is just really deeply ingrained to, uh, into my gamer soul. And I didn't know what I would do if I completed that. Like, I always kind of wanted to leave it open. That way, you know, I wouldn't have a reason to kind of stop gaming. This was a, a idea I had as a child that I said, you know, if I ever make it, I'm, I'll buy all the Super Nintendo games. That kind of bullshit defiance that only comes from like a 12 year old well here we are 25 years later and uh let me get on with it because it's kind of a long story here we go Before I begin, I, I do want to state that this comes out of my memory from 25 years ago. It is true, but if I misremember something, I don't want to be jumped on for it. it I'm 99% sure most of it is accurate, but if I flub a date or something or I'm not as exact as you would like me to be, that is, again, this is 25 years and I'm trying to recall something from when I was 12 and 13 years old. Here we go. It was the summer of 1991. And the recession and the heat were going strong in Southern California. I mean, it was hot. It was hot as balls. It was just nonstop sweat. It was awful. I'm 12, and my family is really poor. And I'm not talking poor like, oh, we can't buy things and, you know, we got a small house. We share a one-bedroom, or let me state that clear. We share a bedroom. And this is not a one-bedroom house or an apartment. It is one singular room which in fact is a small half basement room under my aunt's house it is so small that we have to sleep on bunk beds this is my parents below and me on top my parents do not get along with my aunt so and they, they barely get along with each other but this means my aunt who is upstairs does not let us go upstairs to use the bathroom to have dinner to use the kitchen there's none of this Next door to us lives my grandmother, and this house is no great refuge either. However, she does let us uh, use the bathroom and the kitchen, and she does let us have the room that we're staying in. My, my aunt does not own the house that she is in. This is uh, house two of my grandmother's house, and they are not rich or anything. This is just a, a small shack that they've built onto their property uh, when my grandparents bought this property in California back in the 50s. Okay, so that's where this is coming from. There's 
one thing you should know too, how did we get in there, like to this room? Well, it because my grandma at one point becomes concerned because we've been living in a Motel 6. And actually, I consider living in this basement room a large step down, at least at the Motel 6. You know, I wasn't surrounded by people who actively disliked me. My aunt dislikes my parents and then dislikes me. My grandmother hates my father because he, she blames him for the mess of my mother's life. And, uh, you know, they're, you know, my parents are just not great people. So it's not unreasonable that she doesn't like him. What's unreasonable is she transfers some of that dislike onto me. By some, I mean pretty much all of it. My grandmother and I have a contentious relationship by the time I'm five years old, and that is not any kind of exaggeration. My grandmother is not a shy or a woman who holds back at all. She was a woman who would let you know if she didn't like you. She would also say blood is thicker than water, but that did not mean she did not despise me or, you know, other members of our family. She just, despite that, would take you in. That's the story there. So aside from my grandmother's house being good for you know, being able to go eat and go to the bathroom. It also has the advantage of being a stable residence, which means the Nintendo Power subscription I got always has a place to go. And uh, that house is still there, still populated by my family. And if I still had a magazine subscription, I'm sure it would still be going strong. So that's another thing. Um, The Nintendo Power here is important. Why? Because this is where I first hear about the Super Nintendo. I get it, and it's, you know, in June, and I read that it's going to be released in North America sometime in the late summer or early fall. And man, I just had to have it. I had a NES, I I don't even know how that happened, but I was fortunate enough to at least get that and had some games and was a kid who constantly traded, but I was running out of games to play. I was ready for the next thing, and the Super Nintendo just seemed amazing. I'd been hearing about the Genesis, but I didn't care. I I was a Nintendo kid. I wanted the next Nintendo. So I'm super pumped. Then kind of reality hits me. It's just my parents are never going to be able to buy me one. Uh, getting the NES was my parents writing a bad check to get it. But neither of them now, neither of them have worked in like a year and they both lost their jobs. The recreational drug use became heavy drug use or hardcore drug use. And my grandma, who despises me, definitely isn't buying me a Super Nintendo. I would have had a better shot wringing blood from a stone. So this situation is pretty bleak. And I can do one of two things. I can cry about it or I can do something about it. And I tend to be solution-oriented. So I said, all right, I got a plan. I'm going to look in the penny saver and I'm going to see if there are anything... As if there's anyone looking for small handiwork, lawn mowing, washing cars, any kind of shitty work that a kid could do, even in this heat, I would do it. You know, I walked up and down the streets too, across neighborhoods, knocked on doors. That's how determined I was to get this Super Nintendo. I do stumble across one ad though in the Penny Saver. Had some success with like knocking on doors, but eventually it's like mid-June and I, I get this ad. And it is looking for kids, 13 and up, who want to make some money. I decide to call. I wait for the house to be empty. I find my opportunity and I call. And look, they're looking for someone 13. I'm 12. I, at that age, already understand that 
13-year-olds working is pretty shady and kind of young, so I'm guessing if they're looking for 13-year-olds, they probably aren't doing a good job of checking ages, so I'm just going to lie. I could also be 13 in October, so it's not that big a deal. I call. The company is called Junior Careers. That place is super shady. Let me tell you, whatever I describe here, it's 10 times shadier than my description. And let me boil it down for you. Junior Careers makes its money by using kids to sell candy door-to-door. They rely on desperate kids to look desperate. The more helpless you look, the better you are. And the better you are, the better it is for them. So here's what happens. You get dropped off on a random street corner. Most of the time, it's not in the city you even live in. And you walk up and down, stopping at every house on the way, trying to sucker some people into buying candy from you. They, they need to look at you and see your desperation and, you know, buy in. Maybe you're a great salesman at 12 or 13. Probably not. Here's the other, <laughs> the worst part about them. You don't have a salary. You don't have an hourly rate. What you have is commission. This is commission-based sales. You are making 80 cents to $1 depending on the price of the item you sell. $4 box candy, 80 cents. 5 or $6 item, which uh, I think is like a candle in like two different boxes of candy, that was a dollar. That was like, it felt good when you sold a candle because you knew it was a full dollar. Each time you sold it, it felt great, but if you didn't sell anything that night, it felt really bad. Mostly you sold a few things. Anyways, get dropped off on this corner, and when you'd walk up and down, you'd finish your block, you would then go to a wait point, which is usually like, here's this street, and here's the two streets next to it. You go do those. Guy in the van says, I'll be back in a half hour. So I do want you to remember that this is 1991. There aren't really cell phones, especially not in kids' hands. Pagers aren't really a thing. And even if they were, the kids who are working at junior careers don't have pagers. That's just not part of uh, the identity of poor kids, not at least in my town. So you are stranded. You're on, you're on an island all by yourself. And it's at night. Like you start to work in the day and thankfully it was the summer. So it stayed day pretty late, but you wouldn't stop till late in the evening. Sometimes there is definitely a point in time where it is dark out and you're just out there. You're stranded, you're waiting, and you're just hoping they come back and pick you up. This is junior careers. White van, no windows, packed in ki- with kids, not in seatbelts, with boxes of candies surrounding them, walking up and down streets in dark cities they don't live in with no ability to call for help, and uh, yeah, making 80 cents a box of candy. No hourly wage at all. Junior careers. Great, great job. Great first job. That's them, but let me break down how the call goes. So like I said, the house is empty. I make the call, and when I called, I obviously didn't know that Junior Careers was such a shady operation, but honestly, it wouldn't have mattered. I was so fixated, and I I get a little obsessive about getting this Super Nintendo. It really didn't matter what the job was. You know, as long as I wasn't hurting anyone, I was probably going to do it, you know, or being hurt myself. I call, a guy named Ron picks up. He doesn't really ask me anything. Within two minutes, he tells me, I'm hired. He wants to know my address, that I start tomorrow, that he would be there at three. He doesn't ask my age. He doesn't ask my story. I don't know if he asked my name. Maybe I volunteered it. I don't think it mattered to him. Anyways, 
3 p.m. the next day comes. And here's what shows up in this white van with no windows. He's burly, you know, overweight, unshaved. He's got a dirty shirt. He's got pit stains. And in this van, he just honks twice. He doesn't come to the door. He doesn't want to meet my parents. He doesn't want to say anything to him. This dude got zero fucks to give about anything that's going on. I can't imagine what he's making, but whatever. This is his job. This is what he's doing. Boom. I get out the door when I hear the honks. I have not explained this to my parents. Kind of told them that I got a job. And uh, I haven't explained what the job is. But they, when I tell them, man, boy, do they laugh. Who doesn't love to be laughed at by their parents? This is like kind of beyond. This is the funniest shit they have ever heard. My dad says, who the fuck hires a 12-year-old? And that is a piece of wisdom. Uh, Yeah, because really, who does? I told him right off the bat, junior careers. Of course, I have recited the ad I had read, which stated it was an organization to help kids stay off the street and make money for school. That's what the ad said. That's the ad I found. There is some irony built into their their mission statement. Keeps kids off the street to make money for school. And they achieve this by putting kids on the street. At the time, I did not pick up on that irony. And uh, my parents, they didn't really care. They didn't pick up the irony either. Whatever. I'm out of their hair. Great for them. Boom. I'm in the van. And it's my first day at junior careers. And it goes just as I described. Walking up and down streets. Peddling candy. Hoping nothing goes wrong. I stay with junior careers until early August. And I only stopped because I was going up to Northern California for an annual visit to my cousin's house. I made some money, but not a lot. Part of the fact that the job wasn't really designed for me to make money, and some of it was my inexperience, and another part was the the setup here lacks uh, efficacy on all fronts. So the job starts around 3. I mean, you're picked up at 3, but it doesn't start till 5. Because you get picked up, and then you got to go pick up all the other kids, and that takes time. And then driving to whichever city you're going to go to, that takes time. So you would work from 5 to 8 or 9 in the evening. You're out in the dark, standing on corners. You got no flashlight, no phone, and not much in the way of safety. Nothing ever happens to me, aside from a scuffle and two theft, which also come out of my earnings. So if you get stolen from, of course, blame the kid and take their money. That's cool. And if you're doing the math, if you get one box stolen, how many boxes do you got to pay for? Anyways, I was lucky, to be honest. I went to some bad areas of downtown LA, into neighborhoods that I had zero business being in during the day or at night, especially at night, especially at my age. But again, overall, pretty lucky. I had heard horror stories about kids who were abducted, raped, they were beat up, and every other unseemly manner of horror that falls in between the spectrum of robbery and kidnapping and rape. So whatever your imagination figures out in between those, I heard a little bit about it or, you know, it was known to be something that could happen to you. (sighs) That was not a great time. And, uh, you know, when I reflected on it later, I feel really bad for those kids who, when you hear this stuff and didn't deter me though. I was only focused on one thing at that time. I work a total of six weeks and I was doing it, you know, 
four, sometimes five nights a week. And by the time it's all over, I have 700 bucks. I have enough time to buy a Super Nintendo. And I loved watching my money grow. The more money I made, the more times I came home and put money in my little jar, the more excited I got, the more I wanted to work. I had a super sweet plan. I was going to buy a Diamondback mountain bike. I was going to buy a Super Nintendo. And I'd probably have enough two games after that, maybe even three. I'm feeling top of the world. I never felt so lucky. I'm going up to my cousins, my aunt and my uncle and my cousin. My cousin, he's, he's my age. And uh, my aunt and uncle are like stable people. They're just normal adults with jobs and a house. And it's always a nice break to go into a stable home. Forward to it every year. And I, I've made so much money that I decide I'm taking 50 bucks with me. Me and my cousin, we're going to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to rent movies. We're going to buy candy. We're going to rent games too. And it's going to be three weeks of bliss. We're, there's going to be more candy and soda games than we know what to do with. It was, uh, it was the best kind of summer trip. All those things happen. When you were 12, renting R-rated movies and eating candy, there's just like nothing finer. And both my aunt and uncle work, so we're pretty much unsupervised. We just got the house to ourselves. It is amazing. And I am also not in a one-room dungeon. I'm, I'm at a house, even though I'm back on a bunk bed, which is fine with me. You know, but I got space to spread out. There's a yard. You know, there's a comic book down the street. I have a great time. And the same feeling that I get every time I come home. And it's just just regret and sadly jealousy of uh, my cousin and his very stable life. Just wishing I could have stayed at his house forever or be him. Just be anybody but me and ha have anybody but my parents. But... Three weeks ends, and my parents said that's enough, and they wanted me back for, which I assumed are more property-based rather than those born out of parental instincts or caring. And so you're probably wondering, okay, I take $50, I have 700 Where does a kid put $650? Well, I had taken great care to hide my money before I left. I got a hole in the side of my mattress, and let me, let me break down how the bunk bed is. Okay, so there's a wall bunk bed is pushed up into the corner of the wall so we're on two walls and uh, my mattress you know one side faces both walls i take the long side of the mattress i cut a small hole in it and i take my money and i put it in there half of it i then cut a hole down the other side i stuff some money down there too so it's not just all of it right there i, I figure maybe they find it if they do they can't get all of it they're looking hopefully just no one takes it my money is well hidden stuffed in little bags I got it down as far as my little arms could go and uh, I did this in secrecy my parents pretty much passed out because they were never out of that room but uh, when you get high and you the heroin nod off you, you feel like you know you might be safe I think I'm safe they are you know passed out totally on the nod reruns on the tv cigarettes smoldering in full ashtrays I had hidden it I felt safe I felt good about the hiding felt like no way they could possibly find this money. It feels bad a little bit to hide the money like that. And a normal kid would entrust this hoard to his parents. But a normal kid doesn't, you know, and I hesitate to use the word normal. Who knows? My perceived idea of normal. I didn't trust them. That's the bottom line. They were desperate. They were unemployed. They were junkies. Just what do you do? When I left, 
I was actually the only person in the room with a job, and I'm 12. No, these are grown adults. So it's a very tenuous situation. And when I get home, every quiet fear I had was realized the moment I walked into our room. I went right up to my bed, and my father just sneers at me. What are you hoping to find up there, John boy? He's mocking me, so that's cool. He knew what I was hoping to find up there. He thought I was hoping to find the money, and that's true to a point. I was hoping to find the money, but it's more than that. I'm looking to find that my summer dream, the dream of the Super Nintendo I've been working for, that child's trust in their parents for safety, to know I worried for no reason, for reassurance. I'm looking to find that I've got parents that wouldn't steal from their kid and that valued them and wouldn't put me in this situation. What I found was, in fact, every fear I had made real, anger and anguish. And I don't actually have a place to put any of those things. I'm trapped in a small room with a dad who is either high out of his mind or just resentful and angry. And uh, he looks at me and tells me the following. That I am his son. That any money I made was his money. The fact that I tried to hide the money and never gave it to him was wrong. That I am ungrateful. And that I am an asshole who should be ashamed of myself. I also think that I was told to quit my fucking sniveling and get outside. I can't confirm the last part because some point in my dad's uh, speech to me, I am full-blown and enraged, and uh, you know I'm starting to go blind to the blood pulsing in my, my head and eyes and just rage covering everything that I could feel. I, I can hear blood pounding like in my ears, and that's it, and I want to scream, and that's all I want to do. And I think I'm screaming in my head, and that's like the memory I have of that moment, which is not the best. Um, you know, I feel pretty bad. I take myself, and I just get out. I just leave. I get outside. I pace around the property for a few hours, and I'm, I'm trying to get a, a grip on myself. I am trying not to cry. I'm trying not to tell myself how stupid I am. I'm telling myself... <laughs> that when the tears do come, not to feel bad about that. I'm just trying to get myself in control. It's uh, it's hard work. School is going to start in two weeks, and I am just kind of stuck, and I I know it, and I'm just thinking about it. I know I need to do something. I, the Super Nintendo is still out there. There's still opportunities. I need to keep my head, and I need to make a new plan. My while well, the dream of buying a bike and playing the Super Nintendo um, is dead, I have to acknowledge it, and I just need to move on. Night fully settles into itself, and uh, I'm still pacing, and my grandmother finds me, and she tells me to get inside and stop stalking around the property. I do what any reasonable child does. I leave. Again, I'm too angry to go back in that room and face them, so I hike up to a hill, like on this big, like, kind of sandstone cliff that overlooks the railroad tracks and all the city, uh, the city of Simi Valley. It's a pretty good place to sit, uh, honestly. You can see all the stars. You can see the lights of the city. The only noise you hear are bugs and, and the trains. It's pretty peaceful. It's a place that I would go to a lot. It is a place meant to uh, kind of search your soul and your feelings and figure out. I didn't know it that time, but... In the summer of 1992, the following summer, 
This would also become my home for six weeks. So I stayed out there all night, till morning, wishing on stars, and hating every bit of my parents. And that's the end of part one. Come back next week when this concludes in part two. And right now you can actually see see the whole Super Nintendo collection on YouTube. Just search my name, Johnny Ayuchi, that's G-O-H-N-N-Y-I-U-C-C-I. Also, be sure to follow at Catsylvania. She's my partner and just not here for this episode. Anyways, we'll talk to you next week, and thank you so much for listening.